Well, William Shatner is an American actor and icon, uh, most known for his role as Captain Kirk in the, the Star Trek series that I think started in the late 60s, okay? And uh, of course, Captain Kirk led the USS Enterprise uh, where no man has gone before in space. But, however, uh, William Shatner got the chance of a lifetime back in October 2021 to actually go into space, not just to pretend like he was in space. Uh, he was invited by uh, Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon, to be a part of the Blue Origin uh, rocket ship, and they actually orbited for a few minutes up in space, and it was, a, it was an amazing thing. And then when they landed safely, just a few minutes later, as they were popping champagne and celebrating the, the great return, William Shatner was in tears. He couldn't hardly articulate how profoundly moved he was by seeing the earth from space. Now, this emotion is what Frank White uh, wrote about in his book called The Overview Effect. Uh, the overview effect is defined this way, a state of awe that causes changes in the observer's self-concept and value system and can be transformative. In other words, it's like you get up in space and when they see the earth from the vantage point in space, it is just a, a powerful uh, vision. It, it, it is a reminder of how small we really are. Almost every astronaut that's gone into space has had this emotional response. Neil, Neil Armstrong, the first man to walk on the moon, he said it this way, it suddenly struck me that that tiny pea, pretty and blue, was the earth. I put my thumb up and shut one eye and my thumb blotted out the planet earth. I didn't feel like a giant. I felt very, very small. Alan Shepard from the Apollo 14 uh, expedition said it this way, when I first looked back at the earth standing on the moon, I cried. It's a sense of how small we really are when we see our planet from space compared to the vastness of space. When the Voyager 1 uh, that uh, was launched out in 1990 was uh, leaving our planetary neighborhood over to the outreaches, uh, out, out regions of our uh, solar system, four billion miles away from planet Earth, it turned around and snapped this picture. And when you notice in this picture, caught in one of the rays of the sun, there is a tiny blue dot. That is Earth. That is you. That is me. And it's just a reminder of how small we really are and how big God really is. Now, we're in this series called Anchored, and uh, we're looking at seven anchored doctrines that hold. And by the way, we're living in a day when these anchor doctrines are trying to be pulled up. So we need to reestablish what the Bible teaches that is non-negotiable. And today what we're talking about is the greatness 
of God. So I want you to get your Bible, open up with me to Isaiah chapter 40. This is where we're going to be today. Isaiah chapter 40, we're looking at the greatness of God. Isaiah was one of the greatest prophets that uh, we know of in the Old Testament, wrote one of the largest books of the Old Testament. The book of Isaiah is actually broken up in at least three sections. Some say two, others say three. But verses, uh, chapters 1 through 39 is really talking about Isaiah's contemporaries. But when you turn to chapter 40, that begins a new section. And this section, Isaiah is addressing those that have yet to be born. Those who will come out of Babylonian exile and will be crushed by it. And so he begins to speak to this group of people. And if you look at Isaiah 40 verse 1, you can see really what he's getting at in this chapter. Notice what he says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. That God wants to comfort his people. That God desires to come close to his people and comfort his people. God wants to comfort you. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what you're facing this morning. Some of you may be facing the trial of your life or the hardship that just seems uh, overbearing and suffocating. Uh, Maybe you're trying to make a decision. Maybe you're wading through some conflict. Maybe you're estranged from someone in your family and just tears you up on the inside. Whatever you're facing, whatever disappointment you're facing, whatever burden you're carrying, God wants you to be comforted. Isn't that good to know? God wants to comfort you. But I want you to understand that when God comforts us, he doesn't comfort us with these kind of trite little platitudes that you can put on a plaque, you know, or on a bumper sticker. He's not going to come to you with just some, you know, just some little phrases to try to boost your spirit. The, The way God comforts us is by showing us his greatness. Because when all of a sudden when we see how great God is, then we begin to realize that our problems are dwarfed in his presence. And so Isaiah is going to comfort God's people by showing them the greatness of God. I think you can just write this down, this kind of key thought down. Uh, Here it is. Comfort is anchored in the greatness of God. Comfort, your comfort, my comfort is anchored and will not be moved when it is attached to the greatness of God. We need to see the greatness of God. Don't you agree with that? We need to see more and more the greatness of God. No more with our problems looming and God shrinking. No, we need God to loom and our problems to shrink in his presence. And so Isaiah is going to show us here uh, the the greatness of God. Really starting in verse 9. Look at verse 9 with me. Zion, herald, uh, herald of good news, go up. On a high mountain, Jerusalem, herald of good news, raise your voice loudly. Raise it, do not be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. So he's like, hey, we're going to just get up on the mountain, man, and just say, this is what God is like. And, And Isaiah is going to describe to us the greatness of God. Now, it is a humbling thing to try to think that I can communicate the greatness of God in a 30 minute sermon, all right? Uh, that would be a little hard thing to do. In fact, I think about Stephen Sharnock, who was a Puritan pastor, lived in the 1600s, uh, taught in England and in Ireland for a period of time. He actually wrote a two-volume set 
on the attributes of God. I actually have it in my library. Two volumes at 775 pages of the greatness of God. Uh, but Isaiah summarizes it in just a few verses. So we're going to look at it here in Isaiah's summary. So if you're taking notes, jot this first thought down. Here it is. Uh, the, greatness of God, uh, the greatness of God's strength. We're going to look at the greatness of God's strength. And let's look at verse 10. This is the word of God. Amen. Uh, see, the Lord comes with strength, and his power establishes his rule. His wages are with him, and his reward accompanies him. He protects his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them in the fold of his garment. He gently leads those that are nursing. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or marked off the heavens with the span of his hand? Who has gathered the dust of the earth in a measure or weighed the mountains on a balance and the hills on a scale or on scales? Now, I just want you to circle in verse 10 there the two words strength and power. All right, that's what he's describing here, strength and power. And Isaiah is asking these kind of rhetorical questions, you know, throughout, really throughout the whole chapter, he's going to do this, but a lot right here. You know, who created this? And the answer, of course, is God, that God created everything that we see. Uh, just make a note in the margin of your Bible, out in, in the margin, Romans 1.20. Romans 1.20 says, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through, through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so that they have no excuse for not knowing God. That everything you, you, you want to know about God can be seen in creation. His divine nature, his power, his attributes are clearly seen through the universe and through all uh, that is uh, created, his power and his might. Theologians call this the omnipotence of God, uh, the all power uh, of God, the, the mightiness of God, and we see it most in creation. Look at verse 12, who has measured the water in the, in the hollow of his hand. Did you know 71% of the earth is covered in water? 71% of the whole earth is covered in water. That's why uh, uh, we see it, we call it the blue planet, right? Because not only is there the, the uh, atmosphere surrounding it, but also the water on the planet that measures up to 332 million cubic miles of water on this planet. I don't know about you, have you ever been to Niagara Falls? I remember years ago, I was in, in a doctoral seminar, and I went up to Niagara Falls, and man, you could just hear the roar of it, even before you could see it. You could hear it. You could hear the roar of it. Uh, still today, 75,000 gallons of water a second pour over uh, that fall. And it's just a reminder of, you know, who has, who has measured out all the planet, all, all the oceans right here? Like right here, here it is, uh, whoop, that, that's all the water uh, on planet earth uh, measured out in the hollow of his hand. Who's done that? Uh, God has done that. Then look at it here, he asks another question, who has marked off the heavens with the span of his hand? The span is the, the distance from your little pinky uh, to your thumb, all right? You can pull that thing out there, I got little hands, all right? You know, some people have bigger hands, I mean, but, but God's like, okay, I think space is going to be about that big. Space 
It was going to be like that. That's pretty big, right? Look at another question. Who's gathered the dust of the earth? Who's measured the mountains on a scale? Can you imagine it? Okay, I think we're going to put the Rockies over on this side of the scale. We'll put the Alps on this side of the scale. Let's see how they balance out. You know, no, I mean, what is, what is Isaiah saying? Isaiah is saying how big God is. How great God is. What is massive to us is minuscule to God. And how the one who measured the mountains and the one who measured space is himself immeasurable. He is immeasurable. Isaiah is trying to get our minds around the greatness of God, his great power, his great size, his great, uh, his great strength uh, that's seen in all creation. He talks about the greatness of God's strength. Then he talks about the greatness of God's wisdom. Look at verse 13. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Who gave him counsel? Who did he consult? Who gave him understanding and taught him the paths of justice? Who taught him knowledge? Who showed him the way of understanding? And of course, his, of course, Isaiah's point is that no one did. No one sat down and taught God. You know, that God knows everything. That God is aware of everything. Theologians call this the omniscience of God. Wayne Grudem, in his uh, systematic theology, uh, defines omniscience this way. God fully knows himself and all things actual and possible in one simple and eternal act. In, in one moment, God knows everything that there ever will be known, both in the past, in the present, and in the future. He is outside of time, and he knows everything. Romans eleven thirty three says, Oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and untraceable are his ways. You know, I kind, of, I kind of laugh every once in a while when I hear people say, well, you know, if I was God, then I would do things a lot differently. You know, you ever hear anybody say that? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I bet you would. I bet you would. You know, or people say, well, you know, I don't really understand what God's doing. That's right. You don't understand what he's doing. That's the point. His ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are greater than your thoughts. You can't like even fathom. I mean, you got just a fraction of what God thinks and understands. Your brain would explode, all right? You just cannot fathom. That's why he's God and we're not, right? And some people say, well, I just don't understand. Uh, but God fully understands. Just because you don't understand God doesn't mean that God doesn't know what he's doing. Did y'all hear that? I don't want that one to slide by you. Just because you don't understand doesn't mean God doesn't know what he's doing. He's at work. He's working all things according to his plan. And uh, it's a good, stop, uh, good, good point to stop and just ask the question, where are you getting your counsel? 
Where are you getting your counsel? If God knows all things, and if God knows what he's doing, then it would stand to reason that you should seek the Lord for counsel, right? James tells us, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously without finding fault. In other words, God's not going to say, oh, it's you again? Really? I'm so bored with you. I'm so tired of you. No, he's not going to say that. You just keep coming. Lord, help me understand. Lord, give me your wisdom. God, give me discernment in this situation. Uh, he is our counselor. The Holy Spirit's called the counselor that the Lord has given us to give us direction and wisdom. Uh, but there are so many people that I know that they go to people that do not seek God's wisdom. They do not acknowledge God's wisdom and think through their own wisdom they can chart their own course. What folly that is. And you might ask the question, well, what does God think about our wisdom? I mean, hey, we, we've, we've, we've done some things. You know, we know some things. We've discerned some things. We've, we've discovered some things. We've created some technology. What does God think about all of our technology and AI and all, the, all this just stuff, man? We got it going on. What does God think about that? Well, that's a really good question. Let's let verse 15 tell us. Look, the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are considered to be a speck of dust on the scales. He lifts up the islands like fine dust. Lebanon cedars are not enough for fuel or its animals enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are considered by him as empty nothingness. So what does God think about all of our wisdom? Is he impressed with us? Uh, everybody say nothingness. That's what, that's what it says right here. Empty nothing. Dust on the shelf. <laughs> That's it. That's, that's how impressed God is with what we know. He's not impressed. 1 Corinthians 3.19 says, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. You know, our culture thinks God's wisdom is foolish. And I don't know how many times I'm hearing on TikTok now, you know, well, you know, the Bible is so silly. It's so archaic. It's so, uh, so yesterday, you know, we've so evolved now. We're so much more sophisticated and we can't be tied to all these, the corrupted and error, filled with error, the scripture is. And, you know, we're so now more enlightened. And yet here is God standing in his wisdom that will not fail. You want to talk about the greatness of God? We talk about the greatness of God's strength. We talk about the greatness and vastness of God's wisdom. But he continues with the greatness of God's holiness. Look at verse 18. Uh, with whom will you compare God? What likeness will you set up for comparison with him? An idol? Something that a smelter casts and a metal worker plates with gold and makes a silver chain for? A, per, a poor person contributes wood for a pedestal that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not fall over. You know, he starts off talking about, you know, who, who are you going to compare me to, God says. Who are you going to compare me to? An idol? Really? Really? You're going to compare me, the creator of the universe, to some little thing that somebody made? Right? And if you're really wealthy, you might get one that's plated with gold. Ooh. And has a nice tiny silver chain. Wow. 
Or if you're not so inclined, maybe you can only afford a wooden idol that hopefully you get one that doesn't fall over when somebody bumps the table. And he said, really, are you gonna compare me to this? Is this what you think God is all about? And then notice what he says here in verse 21. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not considered the the foundations of the earth? Listen, God is enthroned above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a thin cloth and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He reduces princes to nothing and makes judges of the earth like a wasteland. They're barely planted, barely sown. Their stem hardly takes root in the ground when he blows on them and they wither. And a whirlwind carries them away like stubble. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Asked the Holy One. Look up and see who created these. He brings out the stars by number. He calls all of them by name. Because of his great power and strength, not one of them is missing. Notice in verse 25, I want you to circle the two words, holy one, right there. This is the only place in this chapter where God is described as holy. The only time in this chapter where the word holy is used. And yet, the holiness of God is, um, well, I guess you could say it's like one of the primary uh, attributes of God. The word holy simply means that God is not like us. He is other than us. He is greater than us. Uh, when you, if you were to flip back in the chapter of Isaiah, back to chapter six, you have Isaiah, and he has, an, has a vision of God. He's in the temple, and, he, and his eyes are open. He has this vision of God sitting on a throne, and his train fills the temple, and there are angels on either side of him. With two wings, they cover their eyes. With two, they cover their feet, and with two, they're flying, and they never cease to echo back and forth these words, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The holiness of God. Anytime something is repeated over and over, it's like underscore, large font, bold print, uh, emphasis of the holiness of God. While God is loving, it is a holy love. While he is peace, his peace is a holy peace. While God is just, what he exercises is holy justice. In other words, it's all separate from what we fully understand and know. He is a holy, holy God. And so here he is describing this holiness of God. And he said in his holiness, he sits over the whole earth. He's not some like little idol sitting on a shelf. He sits over the circle of the earth. And the whole inhabitants and all the people that parade around as if they are so powerful, they're like little grasshoppers. You flick off your blanket on a picnic. In his holiness... Look at it, he, uh, he stretches out the space. He, he stretches out the space like a tent, like a pup tent in the backyard. He pops up space and there it is for his enjoyment and for his pleasure. 
In his holiness, I love this, he raises up leaders and he pulls them down. He said, you know, just when they start to get a little root, boop, you're gone. I just blow on you and you're over here. And we, we feel like, I'm going to rule the world. Uh, no, you're not. <laughs> See Isaiah 40. You're going to shrivel. And haven't we seen that? Haven't you seen it in your day? Someone who was so strong, maybe ripped out, a man's man, and just, and just one illness, and they just shrivel in front of your very eyes. In his holiness, he is a sustaining force behind all things. In his holiness, even now in heaven, he is being exalted. Even now in heaven, the throngs of those in heaven are singing his praises in his holiness. In his holiness, he sustains all things. Acts 17, 28 says, in him we live and move and have our being. Are you beginning to get just a, a glimpse of the greatness of God right now? The greatness of his power, the greatness of his wisdom, the greatness of his holiness. Uh, I mean, if you're like, Craig, if that's really true, man, God, that's a scary thing. God's scary. I mean, just look how great he is and how awesome and powerful he is. I mean, that's, a, that's an awe-inspiring, incredible reality. And a God like that surely could not know me or care about me. And that's where you're wrong. Look at the, write this last thought down, the greatness of God's care for you. The greatness of God's care for you. Look at verse 27. Jacob, why do you say? And Israel, why do you assert that my way is hidden from the Lord and my claim is ignored by my God? Have you ever thought that? You know, God doesn't see me. God doesn't understand. God's way out there. You know, I remember years ago, I'm going to date myself now. I remember years ago, probably, whew, I don't, I'm not even going to try to look up the date. Somebody can Google it for me. You know, Beth Midler had the song, From a Distance. You know, God is watching us from a distance. You know, some of y'all may know that, remember that song. He's watching us from a distance and everything is so peaceful from a distance. It's almost like, you know, God's out there and he kind of, every once in a while kind of looks over and goes, oh yeah, look at those cute little people over there. You know, everything's so rosy over there that he's left us. Uh, that's not the God of the Bible. That's a manufactured God. But we may feel that way sometimes. You may feel right now. I, I, you know, I'm just going through this trouble and I'm going through this hardship and I'm going through this heartache and my heart is broken every day and I just don't know what's... And God, do you really care about me? And that's what he's asking here. Does God really care? Look at verse 28 and 29. Do you not know? Have you not heard? By the way, don't you love how he says that? When you say, well, does God really care? And he's like, hey, don't you know this? Haven't you heard this? Heard what? That the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There's no limit to his understanding yeah, we got that. That's what we just learned, right? He, he created everything. He knows everything. He's holy. Yeah, we got that. He said, verse 29, and he gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. 
when you see the greatness of God, what you also see is that God comes to us and offers us his strength when we don't have any. He comforts us by giving us discernment and wisdom when we don't have it. That the great God of the universe takes great delight in you. That's just a miracle of the scripture. That's a miracle of the Bible. That God really cares about you. And then he gives us an illustration of what that looks like. I'm going to go back up to verse 11. You probably thought, wait a minute, Craig, you missed a verse. No, I didn't. I was just saving it for now. All right. Verse 11 What does that look like that God would care about me? He protects a flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them in the fold of his garment. He gently leads those who are nursing. Just like a shepherd. How does a shepherd love his sheep? Well, he he feeds them, right? He leads them, protects them, watches over them, uh, pursues them when they're lost. Uh, brings them back to him when they wander away. Carries them in the fold of his garment, co- literally covering them up with the fold of his garment, holding them close to his chest. That's what God is like. Does that remind you of anybody else? Jesus said in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. See, the real miracle of God is that as vast and as great and as powerful and as holy as he is, that he wants to come close to you. That he wants to comfort you. And when you are out of strength, you say, God, I just can't go another step. That he will give you his strength. And when you don't know what to do and where to go and it's so confusing, that he will bring wisdom into your life. And when you feel like God is so far away that he can never be close to you, that he comes near to you. That's the miracle upon miracle. Not that God created the world or created us, but that God cares about us. And you may say, well, you know what? I just don't feel like God is coming near to me. I know that maybe I understand that the Bible says that, Craig, but I just don't feel it. I don't feel like God's close to me. How can I feel that God is close to me? Look at verse 30. Youth may become faint and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. You know, it's interesting the CSB says those who trust in the Lord. Some versions say those who hope in the Lord. Uh, Hands up if your version says uh, those who wait on the Lord. Anybody got that version? Yeah, that, the actual word here, the actual Hebrew word uh, means to linger, to wait, to be still. Are you weary this morning? Are you tired? Are you carrying a heavy load? Are you discouraged in your own heart? Listen, the Lord wants to comfort you and the way he can comfort you you have, is that you have to wait on him. You have to settle in. You have to be still. You have to, you have to, uh, we, we don't, we're not still very good, you know? We don't do still very well. We have to be still. 
He didn't say those who work for the Lord will renew their strength. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. I just have to, I have to be still and I have to go to God's word and I have to remind myself who he is and wait. Wait for God to speak to me. Wait for God to reveal himself to me. Wait for the truths of God's word to move from my head down into my heart. I remember years and years ago, I was so discouraged. I thought, you know what, this ministry thing, I don't think I can do it. I just don't think I can do it. I remember going to a, a cabin and by myself, very discouraged, ready to quit. I fell asleep on the couch, woke up, it was dark. I fumbled around for a light switch and turned on the light. I grabbed my one-year Bible, which I had thrown in my bag, and I just said, Lord, I'm tired. I'm tired. And I just opened up to the day. And the, the passage that it opened up to that was scheduled for that day was in John 21. John 21, where Jesus said to Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Now what you don't know is that that was the verse that God spoke to me the moment he called me in a ministry. It was that verse. And in that moment, he just reminded me, Craig, I called you and I'm with you. And I was renewed in my strength. And I went back to the work. And I saw God do amazing things. And I guess what I'm trying to tell you is that God wants to do that for you. If you will wait on him, if you will sit with him, if you will just confess, God, I'm just worn out, I'm tired, I'm weary, and let him speak to you out of his word and by his spirit. There's a promise here. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. You will, you will soar like eagles. You will run and not wear out. You will walk one day at a time. Whatever you're facing, he will walk you through it every step of the way. That's the greatness of God. His great love for you. I want you to bow your heads with me. Maybe you're here today and you need the Lord to renew your strength. Then just be still right now. Just with your head bowed, your eyes closed, ask God to show you who he is. Ask God to reveal himself to you in this moment. Lord, show yourself to us, God. Lord, reveal your heart to us, God. Lord, remind us, say again, do you, have you not heard? Do you not know? I will renew your strength. Lord, lift, lift up our eyes to see you. Lord, put your hand under our chin and lift up our head from looking at our problems and let us see you face to face. Remind us of your unfailing love. Lord, we worship you.